Holy God, you call us into your ways in this world, ways which draw us deeper and closer to you, deeper into our own humanity and deeper into the humanity of those around us. Give us strength to resist any temptation which would draw us from that love. And meet us again in your word this morning, O faithful one. Amen. I invite you to be seated. What a doozy of a gospel reading for a family day weekend. <laughs> for the win. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If it's your right hand, chop it off. I feel as though if we took Jesus literally you'd have something like the Black Knight from Monty Python's Holy Grail up here in the pulpit this morning. My Lord, Jesus, can't we just get back a few verses in Matthew's Gospel to blessed are the peacemakers, or is that the cheesemakers? You took a hard left there, Jesus, with this one and you're making folks feel uncomfortable. Not good for your PR. What's going on here in Matthew's Gospel? Jesus, he sounds so harsh and so cold. This is the self-same Jesus saying at once to pluck out your eye for looking at someone other than your betrothed with the teeniest bit of lust. And then when a bunch of holy rollers roll up on the woman caught in actual adultery in the act, and they're ready to kill her, he says to them, you who is without sin, go ahead, throw the first stone. And he discombobulates them so much that they leave her alone, and he asks the woman, has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answers, and Jesus says, neither, neither do I condemn you. Go. Go and sin no more. How do we make sense of this? Well, Jesus is still discombobulating here in this sermon, but he's doing it differently. He's preaching and he's stretching his hearers' imaginations to drive home a point about the life that God calls us to live. As Christians. But first, let's clear up the context a bit before we get to what that is. Now, if we heard that gospel this morning and we think that Jesus is coming at us as atomized, as individualized people and coming down hard just on moral impropriety as a bit of an ethical dictator, then we'd be right to resist the image of the God that that might represent. God as aloof, aloof ruler, chastising humanity for their moral indecencies. Not quite the same God that meets the woman in adultery. But it's hard not to hear the you, you have heard it said from Jesus over and over again, and not to think that Jesus is speaking to me, isolated me, Patrick directly. Let's remember this is Jesus' sermon 
on the mount. He isn't admonishing any one individual. He's calling forth a new community. He's calling forth a community that is both to be blessed by God and to be a blessing to the world. A community commissioned with a love that outloves the love that the world has on offer. A community that is rooted deeply in the ways of God's philanthropia, as the church mothers and fathers would call it, God's deep love for humanity. These are community rules. Jesus' rule of life for the kingdom of God. But its community rules blown wide open so that God's love permeates our every encounter, our every relationship. Read in this way, Jesus' admonitions around murder, anger, adultery, lust, divorce, oath-taking, they take on a different flavor. And they show us a different picture of God. If Jesus is here instructing us in a rule of life for a community that is blessed and is to be a blessing to the world, the picture of God is of a God who cares deeply for humanity, so deeply that he cares about how we interact with one another. A caring for human dignity. This is a God who takes our human relationships with one another seriously and wants us to treat one another not with simply the bare minimum of decency, the bare minimum that the law calls for, but with a love that drives us deeper into each other's humanity deeper into sharing the love which God bears for each of us, which he shows us in Jesus. Listen as one commentator paraphrases Jesus on murder. You have heard that murder is wrong, he tells his listeners, but I say to you that coexisting without literally killing each other is not enough to sustain a beloved community. It's just the beginning. Agreeing not to commit homicide is essential and it is lovely, but what about all the other ways we human beings kill our relationships through resentment, rage, unforgiveness, and spite? But we often treat others as if they are dead to us, less than human, unworthy of love. Don't we inflict soul-killing violence on each other through our words, through our silences, a refusal to extend and receive forgiveness. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if we, according to the rule of law, spare each other's lives and yet commit unspeakable acts of murder through refusal to love? In the same way, for instance, Jesus tells us to imagine a community, a community in which people are truth-tellers, full stop, a 
community where no one has to say, I swear it, in order to earn trust. In God's kingdom, this kingdom Jesus is calling forth, this beloved community, we don't need to manipulate with words because we know our words are spoken in the presence of God. so that we speak full of care and reverence for one another, a holy reverence for each other, for the image of God that each of us bears, a holy reverence engendered in this community. Imagine what that would look like. In all of this, Jesus is teaching us that God cares deeply, that God is attentive to our relationships, to the nitty-gritty of our lives, because God wants us to treat each other with the same love and care with which God treats us, by which God dignifies each of us. So like the woman caught in adultery, Jesus isn't condemning us. He's reminding us of what the whole of the scriptures teach us. That the way of God's love is true, but it's hard. It's good, but it's difficult. It is beautiful, but it ain't easy. Because we are called to live together in community giving one another so much more than just the bare minimum to keep the social contract working and the ship even keeled. That is not the church. We are called to put on public display for the world a deep love for one another, for the world to honor each other deeply, to speak truthfully one to the other, not to earn God's blessing, but rather to embody it for the world. So in light of what Jesus says this morning about our relationships and our commitments, I want you this week to call to mind one of the relationships in your life that is most important to you one that's healthy and whole and good and that sustains you. And think about what makes it a good relationship, why it's important to you, why it matters to you. And I want you to spend time this week and thank God for that relationship, for that person, for what you share. But second, I want you to call to mind a relationship that is important to you but that has suffered some damage whatever that might be. I don't want you sitting this week and stewing about who was to blame for the hurt, but rather hold that person, hold that relationship in prayer this week and offer that relationship to God for God's help and healing. And my prayer for all of you this week is that God would continue to heal 
and to restore those broken relationships. You see, the message of Jesus, even in these hard words which make us shift in our pews, is that God delights in you so deeply. God actually cares about how you act with and toward others. God delights in you so much that God wants you to walk the way of his holiness, to avoid temptations, to keep your eyes and your hands free of what would hinder your deepest commitments from anything that might sever the true, good, and beautiful relationships and obligations that God has given to you, the treasures that God has given you. This is how we live into our call to be a community that is blessed by God and to be a blessing to the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.